video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when Hello, you want my name is Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all the notable Blu-rays and DVDs. And what what's this? It's October. Oh, it is October. First few days of October here. <laughs> Wait, uh, does that mean that we only have horror films this week? Because only sure. horror films get released sure. in October, right? Exactly. Exactly. Mm. I mean, Whew. I think there's largely horror films in here, right? Yeah, mostly. Well, maybe not. Do you all, feel there's but... an uptick? of horror films in October when people are not really not right really because horror is just coming out every month of the year you know and there's so many cult labels that just release horror so it's like has the world reached the saturation point are there any more horror movies apparently to continue there release are. <laughs> apparently there are just when you think you know every single horror movie that's come out more come out I mean, from the 70s, 80s, I 90s. I love that. Before, the yeah. fact that there's more and that Vinger Syndrome's oh, yeah. like, Most of uh, you know, I guess we have a Camille Keaton box set, yeah. the films <laughs> that she made in Europe. And it's like, sure, sure. all right. Why not? Ooh, there's a Ricardo Freda movie in that. There I uh, am interested in that filmmaker, even though that none of the films that I've seen that he's done are that good. Vinegar Syndrome is kind of the best at that of obscuring or unearthing like super obscure horror movies. I see one of the guys that works for their company. He actually like does star ratings. Yeah. Yeah. He watches the movies like a year, you know, before they put it out, and okay. it'll be like two stars on a movie that they release. So <laughs> clearly, they are not like, oh, all of these are great. Yeah. But they always go in and they're like, oh, here are two versions of the movie. Like yep. they're going even deeper on special features than they ever have. Oh, yeah. Well, they have that ethos that I love that it's like, I feel like they think every movie, even if you don't like it, has got to be someone's favorite movie, mm-hmm. right? So let's put out like a really beautiful edition of it. And I think that something like the Blu-ray of Blades is something right up your alley. The right, Jaws ripoff. Soon, yes, I'm inter- interested in that. Well, Very you know, interested in that. People that order from their website might have already got I it. I know, I know, but I don't have the the disposable cash to spend on every and single month uh, package of releases. Well, I don't either. <laughs> the turnaround on uh, releasing stuff in stores is very quick now. It's it seems quick. like two weeks. Yeah, like we're getting Blades at the end of October. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's only like a month. Used, used to be like three or four months. Now it's almost just a month. They're like, we're putting so much stuff out. Yeah, We I have know, right? 30 they sub labels. out there. <laughs> we just need to yeah, cycling through this. Yeah, exactly. I cannot imagine how many emails they get every day being like, is this in my package? Is this in my package? Know, right? Being someone who has a very small subscription service of Blu-ray stuff, it feels like everyone emails me be like, is this my package? Is this my package? Yeah. Finally, I made the decision, which I should have done a long time ago, just putting it in the details, being like, this is either in or not in your the there fa- you subscription package. Yeah. But I'm sure you still get questions, oh. right? All the time. That's <laughs> no, fine. Nobody reads that. Uh, I would understand, you know, you put all this money up and it it worries you, especially if it's limited edition, that you're like, oh, I want to make sure it's not there or mm-hmm. not. And I appreciate everyone who has a subscription. Yep. It really, really helps. So uh, this is a Blu-ray podcast. So let's move on to talking about some Blu-rays yeah. and or DVDs. Some of these are yeah, probably out on DVD, DVDs right? Here. Uh, we have Dementia 13, the director's cut, which yeah. is so funny. <laughs> because, so, so funny. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola, this is one of his first movies. Not his first, even not though he claimed- his first, even even though they say the first film by Francis Ford Coppola on the, on the cover. That would be uh, The Bellhop and the Playgirl. That would be, yeah. <laughs> Even though that there's some, he re-edited some other footage into this. This is a psycho ripoff by yep. way of Homicidal, uh, William Castle's Homicidal. And for a long time, it was a public domain staple. I mean, it still is. Still is, yeah. <laughs> and it's been released on Blu-ray by what by company? Film Chest, mm-hmm. which is a company that I'm not sure Exists? of their existence anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they used to be pretty good at putting out Blu-rays of public domain films mm-hmm. and for the most part they looked okay they were new scans yeah on I've, I've seen the blu-ray of dementia 13 that they put 
out, God, 10 years or more ago. Mm-hmm. It looked okay for yeah. like a public domain release. That was one of the reasons why when we did our Roger Corman set, people were like, why don't you do Dementia 13? I was like, it's already out on Blu-ray. Yeah. So like, if you want to see it, see it there. Exactly. And we made the right choice because it's coming out from Vestron Video. They're yeah. back, baby. They're back. And it has participation by Francis Ford Coppola, which I love which so great. much. Yeah. <laughs> so what's funny about this, though, is that he did The Cotton Club, he did Godfather 3, he did intros for those, and that was it, the yeah. re-edits. This one, which is a very light re-edit, because I think he just cut out the stuff that he didn't shoot himself. Okay. He does commentary on the Blu-ray, That's talking amazing. about his experiences know, right? making Dementia 13. I saw that on there, and I was like, I'd love to see it, you know? Like, I didn't think he cared about this movie at all anymore. He must but... have reached out, right? No one reached out to him. He must have, right? I, I wonder I wonder what the genesis of this release mm-hmm. was. I would love to see like an article of just even like the producer of the disc talking about like, yeah. we reached out to Francis Ford, this is how we worked <laughs> on it. And I mean, the movie's super fun. It yeah. is what it is. I think one of the issues is that people thought it was a slasher. It's not. It's like Psycho. So yeah. there's like one murder, maybe two, I think, in the movie. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, it's pretty tame. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always liked it. I thought it had a fun vibe. And it just like, it's a different side of Francis Ford, mm-hmm. you know, before he became, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, legendary film maker and this will be the last time i'll say it but this vestron video release is not 50 dollars like the previous one so yeah uh i guess it's lining up to you know screen factory prices yeah they they, i think they realized realized they needed to be a little more competitive Mm -hmm. in the market well i think probably their high prices kind of completely stopped their releases for a while right yeah because they had so many in a row and then they stopped and then they came back and the prices were cheaper yeah they were they took a long hiatus so i wonder if there's just a new person over there Mm. kind of like yeah heading things I hope so. And I hope they continue doing it because they obviously have some muscle to be able to put out some stuff like Dementia 13. So moving on, we have, speaking of hiatuses or just long pauses, we have a release that came out a while back and now it's available in store and it is a must own for any trash or even auteurist. It is The Dungeon of Andy Milligan. Yeah, we didn't think we'd be able to get this one because Severin released it exclusively through their site several months ago. And usually we get, it's like Vinegar Syndrome, Mm -hmm. we get their stuff after a two or three month delay. But at the time two or three months no i know but at the time we were told that this set was going to be just site exclusive mm-hmm. that's it but then things changed i don't know i don't know why but it's here we made too many <laughs> beautiful yeah I think, they, I think they made too many yeah i mean i still have an unopened copy of the al adamson set sitting on my shelf i believe is it yeah, still unavailable do. it's yeah it's totally out of print oh because i only I got like sworn six I saw it copies of them on total. a large website that they still had copies available yeah. they may still have it but yeah i'm uh, waiting for that to go out of print i want to kind of wait because <laughs> i feel like severin is going to release some of them individually yes, like uh, dracula so. versus frankenstein and stuff like that so when when is the going good i'm not a gambling man so, yeah, it's very difficult for try me. and sell it for ten thousand dollars <laughs> but yeah andy milligan for people that don't know he was a guy who lived i believe he lived on staten island didn't he because he shot so. a lot of his movies there yeah and he was a dressmaker he was a theater guy he was very uh gay and very angry mm-hmm. and that's like kind of like the thing that you see in his movies. He shot all of his films with a uh, newsreel camera that he loved and he wouldn't switch it. This like 60 millimeter, or maybe it was a 35. His movies have a very particular cramped look to them. He does period films and they're so talky and so 
angry. All his films are so angry. I would recommend people checking out this set, but you may be taken aback by it, but you're like, oh, this is not like the conventional horror movies that I like. But if you want something that is so like individualistic, mm -hmm. and this set, I mean, if you want context, like this is the ultimate Andy Milligan set. Like it has all of his big movies, the ghastly ones, the rats are coming, the werewolves are here, Vapors, which was like a short film that he made, Seeds, which is a favorite of mine about, it's like a Christmas movie, even Fleshpot on 42nd Street, which was a Vinegar Syndrome release. Yeah. Is on this box set as a booklet written by Stephen Thrower. Have you read the book? What is it? The Ghastly One? It's the book on Andy Milligan. I haven't. Oh, no. it's I'm so not that good. well versed in Andy Milligan, shamefully. You, you should read that book. Uh, do I still have my paperback copy? I'll lend it to you okay. because I also got the like giant hardcover that Fab Press uh, oh, reprinted because cool, cool. it went out of print and it was like $300 if you wanted the paperback. Yeah, yeah. And so it was difficult to recommend to people. But now that I have a paperback that I can lend out, yeah, his life is so fascinating and he seemed like a monster of a person but it's yeah, all in his art that. okay and uh yeah and there's like Stephen thrower my favorite cult writer is all over this disc too i mean tons of people are frank helen lauder he did commentaries right, when they yeah. did something weird releases of the ghastly yep. when they ported them over i think they even ported over the uh, david dakota or fred olin ray commentaries nice. that they did when fred olin ray put out retro media right yeah it right. even has Nightbirds, which is his british film it's like a british kitchen sink drama that oh, he made in that. britain okay. so and it's only 149 bucks for like yeah, this many movies bad. these severance sets are really impressive some uncut too and they've never been uncut mm -hmm. other than this version so they found some weird negative of stash somewhere. Very cool. Moving on to more classy stuff. Ugh, this is not a horror film. No. We had You know what? I had to we had to take a detour to uh Noir Noir Noirville here in Noirville. Um, I am not familiar with this one, which yeah. is The Window. Well, I picked these two noir films here actually because I'm not familiar with them either, mm -hmm. but they sound good. And everybody's been telling me they're two underrated classics. So The Window is the first one put out by Warner Archive. And then The Sniper is being put out by Umbrella. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I would say that we sell so much noir here. We got to spotlight some noir. Mm -hmm. And these two at least looked more interesting than the standard like classic noir films that keep getting put out. Mm -hmm. I mean, The Window, man, I am not good with... Ooh, uh, Arthur Kennedy, I re recognize <laughs> in The Window. Yeah. I don't recognize the director, Ted Teslaff. Uh, I wish I had my Baton Tavernier's uh, American Cinema because I could crack it open. Yeah, and go, I know, right? Ted's, uh, Ted's laugh. I'm sure he's in the there. Name. But I do know uh, the Sniper's director, Edward Dimitrik, because yep. he was part of the Blacklist group and then he named names. <laughs> Ooh. Yep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and he was kind of ostracized from. I wonder when this one came out. It seems so like it came out afterwards. Fifty-two. Yeah. And I think it's it kind of stood out to me a bit because it does almost cross over into horror territory mm. a little bit. It almost seems like a early for uh, father of the like the psycho slasher killer movie thing too, because it's about a guy like a criminally insane guy who gets released and then kind of goes on a a murder spree, killing women all over town, which kind of takes noir elements and then early horror elements. I've never actually heard of this movie, especially considering that it seems to have a very similar plot to Targets. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Peter Bogdanovich film. But this disc has an introduction by Martin Scorsese and an audio commentary by author Eddie Muller, who I believe is like a noir king. Like he's mm -hmm. written a lot of stuff on noirs. And was this released by another company? Because the introduction by Martin Scorsese makes me well, think that... Um, on DVD, it's only ever been put out earlier on DVD mm -hmm. as one of those uh, Columbia Noir oh, classics. Oh, that's sets. why I had an introduction yeah. to Monster Scorsese because he was so, very involved in those. Yeah, never had an individual release. It was just part of that. But now this this is obviously an import from Australia mm -hmm. through Umbrella, but they've done like a really nice, their editions are really nice. Mm -hmm. like, they are. Stuff. Well, the price seems to be going up though, considering how they used to be. Uh... <laughs> 
I mean, they're not as bad as imprint. So, yeah, you know. No, they're not. See, this is the only thing of that we're doing it live in the store now is that I can see the prices. Yeah, you can. Like, we can look Whoa. at the packaging now <laughs> instead of guessing it. So we have an Arrow release here, which is a Snake Girl and the Silver Haired Witch. Now, here's the thing with Arrow and their Japanese titles. Oftentimes, I'll look at it and be like, "Have I seen this?" I know, right? <laughs> like, because they have very maybe, similar maybe titles. Not. I mean, they're releasing Blind Beast as well yeah. this week, and that one I have seen. No, they released that a few weeks ago. Oh, did actually. they? Yeah, they did. Oh, it was like a. I just see it when I. Look at the shop yeah, every week. Fine. That's why. Recently, recently. Yeah. And that one has its fans. I like kind of expression of style, but it's a little like grotty mm-hmm. in a way that I'm like, well, I'm not going to rewatch this if I get on Blu ray. Yeah. As if that's the rule I need yeah, when right. I buy a Blu ray. Does that matter? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You're just going to watch it, watch Justin. You're going to rip it on your computer. Yeah. You're going to put it and then watch it on <laughs> your tablet, probably. Shelf, yeah. yeah. Put it back on the shelf. <laughs> uh, but this one, The Snake Girl and the Silver Haired Witch, what uh, caught my eye is that it's directed by the guy who directed all of the classic Gamera uh, films. He didn't do really any other films other than those Gamera ones. And okay. I've read interviews with him. He's a very passionate guy. So I was like, ooh, I'm going to check this out. And it's also adapted. Kazuo Umezu is actually the comic book artist who this film was based on. Okay. Uh, like he, his work, The Drifting Classroom. I don't know if you've ever heard of that yeah, uh, yeah. material. And yeah, so this was an adaptation of one of his horror shorts. And I'm looking for the director's name. I can't find it. Oh, it's really small at the back. Noriaki Yuasa. Okay. So I was really interested because I was like, oh, I want to see what the Gamera guy could do when he had to make like a different kind of film because he seemed very passionate. On Gamera, uh, he shot both the main unit and the special effects unit, mm-hmm. probably budget related, but he yeah. was also like oh i want to do it and this film is great it's like a gothic horror picture where a little girl goes and lives with her parents and her sibling is like a snake person that is like uh, threatening her and like coming into her room at night also there's a silver-haired ghost witch person that lives in the attic not many scenes with that character probably only like one or two but she looks cool when she shows up and this is a good special edition because it has commentary with one of my favorite commentary guys david callett who did like godzilla commentaries he, d- he did mabusi oh, Mabuse, right, right. i can't say that name uh the criterion one yeah he does great commentaries and i I was surprised when I saw his name on there. So easy yeah. pickup from me. And I really oh, enjoyed yeah. the movie. This has been selling like hotcakes too. These Japanese arrow releases. People are love so them. so big. It's like, even if it's the most obscure movie, it'll sell. Like there crazy. is they not just, like, a more so um, obsessed group of people than Japanese yeah. in general fans. Oh, totally. like, yeah. <laughs> and I always uh, joke on the Important Cinema Club that I'm always nervous. Like, I don't know if I can do a Japanese movie because corrections will come flying from know, every direction right? whenever <laughs> we do it. Excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> So moving on, uh, Hong Kong, that is up more my style. Yeah. Uh, we have Throwdown. This is a Johnny Toe film getting finally a special edition release from Criterion. Yeah, it's his debut on the Criterion collection, right? They Very shot, surprising, yes. Yeah. yeah, which is surprising. For years and years, I thought they must be doing a Johnny Toe And they went with Throwdown? I mean, choice, right? I like Throwdown a lot. I like to say that before he made Office, it was the closest he ever got to making a musical film. Okay. And the plot is uh, Aaron Kwok. Wait, is that who stars in this? Uh, Yes. Is going blind and he's a judo master and he wants to defeat all of the like biggest judo people before he finally loses his sight. Right. And it's like an Akira Kurosawa inspired thing, especially like early Akira Kurosawa films. And yeah, it's really, it's really great. And I'm not picking this up because I got it when and a UK company released it. Eureka did. Oh, they did. Right, and I believe right, it had right. very similar, if not the same, special features. Yeah, yeah. 
But, um, but nice to see him on the Criterion Collection now. Mm. I hope they put out more of his stuff. Uh, it'd be nice to get some sort of like election two-pack or something. From yeah. Them. That would be... Well, I, I mean, figured they were going to do that maybe first, but maybe it's just a rights thing. Yeah, and the fact that probably it will be banned in China because and it's very critical yeah. of that... It's unfortunate. ...current uh, regime that's happening that will soon, soon start censoring movies real bad. Yeah. So, moving on, we have Golden Needles. Now, I did not add this to the no. list, did I? <laughs> uh, I did. Uh, did you watch I, I was, it? No, I didn't. I, I mean, was surprised, though. I thought you might have already seen this. I mean, I'm very, a long intrigued, time very ago. intrigued by this. I love Joe Don Baker. Oh, yeah. And I have He's, a soft spot for Jim Kelly. Love Jim Kelly. Yeah. yeah. So And, and Robert, Robert Klaus. Klaus. Yeah. yeah, you know? I watched this a long time ago when it was on that Jim Kelly four-pack that came oh, out. That was what? like Black Bell Jones, where, I was wondering needles, where I'd Hot seen Potato. It yep, yep. And it's out of a lot of that four-pack. <laughs> they used to do that four packs like crazy. crazy. I, know, I know. And so I'm sure it's not very good. I remember people were very like uh, poo pooing it yeah, at the time. People have a soft spot for it though. When this was announced, this release, there was a lot of excitement over huh, it. Huh, really? <laughs> We've been selling quite a bit. They're while. like, finally, we can throw out our um, <laughs> <laughs> crappy our four pack urban DVD. Advent, urban action pack. Yes, that's what it was it, called. Yeah. Man, they put out a lot of those four they packs did. back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah. That was the four original box favorites. set on DVD. <laughs> four film favorites. And so now it's out on Kino. Know, his new commentary track and uh, yep doesn't say new transfer i think they just get their transfer yeah. from mgm but you know you get this fancy looking slip cover you know they really care when they put a slip cover on it yeah but the <laughs> image i believe on yeah. kino discs is the same on the other side to which i say probably get the slip cover out of here then yeah. <laughs> moving on oh this is definitely a mark pick yeah. moment, moment by, by moment we're gonna stick with kino here this is a mostly forgotten late 70s romance between Lily Tomlin and John Travolta. Oh, which if is there was ever a hottest couple. <laughs> definitely a hot screen couple right there. I mean, they've sold this as basically coming right as Travolta's coming right off of Grease and Saturday mm. Night Fever. And, you know, teams and Lily Tomlin was pretty fame, getting a lot of fame at that point, too. Incredible Shrinking Woman. Incredible Shrinking Woman. Although I think this was before, before that. Before did she have Incredible a TV Shrinking show? Woman. I think she did. Mm. I, yeah, this it's bad. I can't remember Lily Tomlin's, like, what her big we alive. <laughs> claim to fame was. Yeah. But, yeah, they were both big at this point. And this is just a really... I, I'd never seen this until now. I'd always heard about it, but I kind of threw it on the other day. And it's a really sappy late 70s romance where Lily Tomlin is just some, like, unfulfilled L.A. woman, like, you know, career woman. And she just comes across John Travolta, who's just like a drifter in Beverly Hills, basically. And they basically fall in love. And that's kind of all there is to it. A lot of sappy music, a lot of a lot of sappy music. Well, it was <laughs> written and directed by Lily Tomlin's longtime partner, Jane Wagner. It was, and that's kind of the interesting thing about it, which is kind of why I picked it. Uh, Lily, can't you find you yourself can, a man? <laughs> I know. Not that you can really get a ton of that through the actual film. I mean, I only kind of like put it on in the store and was like half watching it while I was doing work. So maybe there's a little more like subtext to it that I didn't pick up on. But, you know, it just like... There's something about it's like it's got that classy late 70s kind of romance style that sort of like pulled me in. And yeah, I mean, it's shamelessly cheesy, but just to see like a young Lily Tomlin and John Travolta like making moon eyes at each other is real fun. Now, the next one, this is right up Mark's alley. And you got this, you have seen this, this it, right? I have not seen this. What? But, you know, our list was a little light this week. And I'm like, this is one that like I feel like we could 
I definitely want to see. I feel like this movie. I'm surprised I haven't seen Masquerade, it. which is definitely a 90s erotic thriller. 80s, and, I think. And Late it 80s? stars Rob Lowe, Meg Tilly, and Kim Cattrall. I know. I feel right? like you would have run for this release. Yeah, we've never had a rental copy of this. Otherwise, I would. It's also written by Dick Wolf, the mastermind behind Law and Order. <laughs> mastermind. I hope it has um, that Law and Order touch. I know, right? I know. Um, and this is, yeah, an early 80s erotic thriller that he did where, from what I can understand, Rob Lowe is basically like some sort of con- young, good-looking con man that sort of like cons a rich lady into like danger, doing stuff, doing danger, stuff. <laughs> danger, Connor into danger. Um, basically, yeah, he's a sexy, they describe him as a sexy sailing instructor and playboy who's not ashamed of sleeping with his boss's insatiable wife. That would be Kim Cattrall. Uh, or social climbing for sport. So then he sets his sight on Meg Tilly's character, and it's one of those things. Kind of reminds me of like his turn, just reading about his turn, Bad Influence with James Spader a few years later, which is a great, great film. That's one I highly Question. recommend. Question, have you watched the Rob Lowe sex tape? No, I Which don't technically so. would be illegal, should isn't I? it? Yeah, no, like, no, I, no, no. I, I don't you, like Rob Lowe that much. You know that story, right? Where, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, well, that, was coming, that happened, right, as Bad Influence was coming out. Kind of, you know, <laughs> well, Rob Lowe's a bad, bad influence. Yeah, kind of like added well, a new layer to that movie. Rob Lowe's like, hey, hey, the age of consent in the state I was was 14. <laughs> That's great. I love it went that up. everybody forgave him for that. You yeah. Know? Like, Rob Lowe's beloved now. You know, mm-hmm. Parks and Rec, we all loved him on Parks and Rec. There's a new Netflix special that came out. And, you know, I don't even mind Rob Lowe, but it's like, you think back on that it's like wow we all totally brushed that one under the rug eh? that was at a democratic convention for george dukakis (laughs) different time different time i think i just heard it recently on a podcast that's why i was thinking when i saw rob lowe yeah i didn't even really know that story if you're if you want some more sleazy rob lowe goodness i feel like masquerade (laughs) will do the trick i will definitely watch this at some point so we're moving back into the sports corner from that's my corner our friend at mill creek i guess no no paramount paramount this is paramount distribution right so let's get one out of the way that we have talked about before. <laughs> it's Keanu Reeves Hardball. I know we talked <laughs> we about it. definitely talked about I it. I remember your story that people were coming in to the video store you worked at and they could not get enough of Hardball. Hardball's the best. <laughs> hardball is the best. And the reason we're talking about it now is because it's out for the first time on Blu-ray. It's oh, you thought we were just talking? Why did we talk I about mean, it I, then? I could talk about Hardball every week. We could just have a Hardball <laughs> segment every week where I never seen it. new fat. Oh, you're missing out. No, you're not missing out. But I mean, this was just one of my favorite movies as a kid. I mean, I'm a sucker for kids' sports movies in general, and this one is just, like, shamelessly cheesy. It basically... Keanu Reeves is like a sports, a down on his luck sports gambler type who owes a ton of money to like bookies. So to pay it off, he manages to get a job through his like rich financial analyst friend coaching an inner city baseball team. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically all you need to know. He goes into Keanu goes into the inner city and teaches 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 poor kids how to have fun and, you know, deal with their shitty lives. And um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, sensationalized sort of like inner city violence moments you know there's like yeah drive-by shootings yeah there's drive-by shootings which may or may not you know affect one of the kids on the team Mm -hmm. but you know and then he falls in love with diane lane's character throughout this for some reason john hawks is in it i did see i saw john John hawks places like sleazy kind of like gambling friend you know what? This is this movie is stupid for sure, but the kids are really endearing. I'll say that, and it's got a bit more of a sense of like grittiness than like your typical. <laughs> I'll movie believe like it this. when I see I it. I mean, it's directed by Brian Robbins, who is the guy who made Varsity Blues, Ready to Rumble, Ooh. and then 
Norbit at one point. <laughs> yeah, wasn't he an Eddie Murphy guy? He, he was an Eddie Murphy guy. Eddie he didn't he meet did Dave, like, too, yeah. I think, and a few cool. others. And now I believe he runs Nickelodeon or something. Like, so he's like a producer guy, more <laughs> or less. failed his way to the top. I know. But you know what? I, this movie, I just have such a soft spot for, and I will continue to talk and praise Hardball for as long as Norbit I is a hate crime. I know. I know. Now, Brian <laughs> Robbins deserves to be thrown in jail for a lot of things, but, <laughs> but Hardball is not one of them. <laughs> so moving on. Oh, what's this? Another sports movie from Paris. Paramount. Wow. It's Blue Chip starring Nick Nolte and Shaquille O'Neal. I've this, never seen this This movie. is the good shit right here. Uh, this is a William Friedkin joint mm. that most people... Yeah, I'm for, not a big fan of William Friedkin. Most people forget about him. Uh, <laughs> I mean, most people forget about this. Blue Chips, yes. Well, this was in his like fallow period where he was making... The like, Guardian? The Guardian. He's oh, I like that one. Jade. Ooh. <laughs> I think this was right before Jade. Uh, anyways, this was more known for being written by Ron Shelton. I mean, I have a soft spot for Jade. Or was it Jagged Edge? Wait, is Jade the one with the guy from CSI that's yeah, in it? Yeah, David Caruso. So when we went to Las Vegas to play Teddy Bomb, we stayed at the MGM Grand okay. Hotel, and every room has a movie based around it. We got the Jade room, baby. No way. There's yes. a Jade room? It was a Jade. So there's props Jade? from Jade's around the room. Um, well, Jade is a hilariously bad... I mean, I have a soft spot for Jade. Of course you do. But Jade is really bad. But Blue Chips is good. Blue Chips is better. Um it's written by Ron Shelton, who's kind of like the sports movie guy. He made Bull Durham. Uh, Angel in the Outfield. Cobb. Didn't he? No. No, that's another he, guy? No, he didn't okay. do that. He did a lot of those Kevin Costner ones. Like <laughs> yeah, King that's Cup what I'm thinking of. Was one. Anyways, he was a sports movie guy. So he wrote this. And but did he do Kick and Tin or whatever it's Pushing called? Tin? <laughs> that's did. not a sports movie. <laughs> no? That's about air traffic You're like, how dare it? Where Come am on. I? Oh, because he's playing golf at one tin point. Cup tin Cup. That, that's the Kevin Costner That's what one. I'm thinking yeah. of. <laughs> he did that. The Tin movies. Anyways, this is a severe, serious sports drama about corruption in high school or uh, college basketball. Uh, Wait, how old is Shaquille O'Neal in this movie? He's young. Okay. So the, the cool thing about this is it actually has real basketball players mm. who were like rookies at the time. So Shaquille O'Neal... <laughs> Is in this. <laughs> How does this performance stack up to the Space Jam real uh, basketball players cast? You know what? I really like Shaq in this, and I am going to defend Shaq as an you know a, a movie star who could have been. Mm -hmm. And th but this one you know is actually like a decent dramatic performance from him. So he plays a basically a amateur basketball player called Neon from Louisiana, and he, they basically discover him like he's not really like trained mm. or anything, but he's like big, he's tall, he like can dunk, and it's like he has he's giant hands, got giant hands, <laughs> and he so they basically recruit him along with a bunch of other players. And he kind of becomes almost the, the moral authority of the movie. He's basically making speeches about how the education system at the university is racist and, you know, prejudiced or kind of slanted towards white history. Actually, valid points. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not expounded on in a mm. really intellectual way. But the fact that they're even brought up and that he gets to be kind of the mouthpiece for them and he does it in a really, like, confident, smart kind of way really shows you he kind of, like, I don't know, to me, had a little more going on upstairs than your usual, like, dumb athlete. Well, I, I got to tell you, uh, but Mark, Shaquille O'Neal is playing a character in this movie. It is not is. captured in he real is. time. <laughs> but the thing is, with athletes who act, they usually have zero charisma. Mm -hmm. He has a lot of charisma. But Shaquille O'Neal always and had I, charisma, right? I know, and that's why I think he he's great in movies, is wait, that he so, actually... Oh, okay, wait, wait, wait. So, I, I think he's a lot of fun in movies because other movies he knows he what in? his media... He knows how to work his like personality for the camera. Steel? Steel. Kazam. Kazam. So he I just saw him in Hubie Halloween yesterday. Yeah, well, he had a run in the 90s between Blue Chips, Kazam, and Steel, where they were trying to make him like a movie mm -hmm. star. Didn't work, clearly. And then after I hated that, Kazam. Hated it. Yeah, it's not great, but yeah. I, again, like... I, <laughs> he killed know, that guy, man, making him I into like a Shaq. basketball. I like Shaq. Did you watch basketball at the time? Uh, yeah. 
How yeah, big was and Shaq I was a basketball as a present? Because he was one of the kid, guys so. that like everyone was he good? Like he must have been right. So the thing with Shaq is he I mean he got dumped on a lot because he could never make three free throws right mm. that was kind of the big thing is like always and they even have a joke in steel right like they have multiple jokes in steel where he can't make free throws <laughs> and then it at, culminates in like a finale <laughs> where he, <laughs> he has to throw a grenade through like a hole to get that's out of the so way, good it barely goes in it like I've never up. seen steel oh steel's uh not good but <laughs> it's fun it's coming fun. soon to a, a shout factory special edition I hope, so. hope I hope yeah. so I don't he's just a good screen presence I really like his I really like his screen presence a lot and this was kind of the start of that he's super young <laughs> again i'm trying to goes, i'm trying to get out of you what other movie has he been he, in oh that's it basically well that was the three and then he just kind of did cameos mm. as himself and there's a lot that, of viral like videos movie, halloween adam sandler movies scary movie five you know like stuff like that a lot of viral videos of him like djing or driving yeah. around in his crazy car oh yeah but you know he does he's got always in crazy stories in the press like he just he recently saved a woman who was like he came some woman got in a car accident he like was driving by and helped pull her out are there any um, me too stories about Shaq? not that i know of mm-hmm. i mean the thing with him is that obviously one of the big things about him was he had that feud with kobe when they were playing together oh i don't know always, that oh they had like a notorious feud where they were beefing the whole time mad tv do you ever see the mad tv sketches no i don't watch mad tv it's a uh, bad taste <laughs> miss swan what were people thinking oh, at the time <laughs> but the shack impressions from airy spear oh on, it was good were really good and they went hard on kobe because during the period where kobe raped that mm. lady and Oof. that was a whole media scandal um, Shaq was really hard on that. Um, really? Was really like taking the task for that. Okay, so he was on the good side. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kobe fired and I back. Was joking. Kobe fired Honestly, back with Everybody stuff about... watched Mad TV back in yeah, the day. Yeah, we, we all did. We all did. So I. We're all bad people. I don't know. I, there's nothing. I mean, I think Kobe fired back with some like, oh, well, Shaq, you know, he women like have problems with him but he just pays them off sort of thing so mm. i mean there could very well be dirty stuff yeah. about shaq i mean listen he, he was a basketball star but, but uh, there's something about i mean right now guys. he's calling out kyrie irving for not getting vaccinated to play oh, really? basketball he's like Good for him he's like the notorious anti-vaxxer flat earther basketball player so well he's he's like a sports analyst yeah. now. he's on tv all the time mm. he's got a sports show he's done so much he's mm. really like he's just a the he's renaissance a man he's a mogul now but you know what? He's just so like it's fun seeing him in this because he's super young. He's still huge, but he's like really young, ton of charisma, and I don't know. I just have a soft spot for this movie. And Nick Nolte is just doing like a a Bobby Knight impersonation where he's yelling and screaming and ranting and raving the whole time. And Shaq and him go toe to toe fairly well. So I can't hate on that. I don't know who Bobby Knight is. I assume he's a famous uh, coach of some famous, kind. Famous, uh, angry college basketball coach mm-hmm. who just was notorious for just yelling and screaming, throwing chairs and, you know, Here's that kind of guy. College sports are evil they <laughs> because are. they don't pay their players. Well, this movie gets into that because it's about how they teams are now bribing players to come play for them when they, you know, there shouldn't be money involved at all but the kind of goes so much money i agree i mean this was a kind of a different time than it is now where that's even been amped up Mm. even more so this is just going into the ethics of whether players should be played or not uh whether they should be paid or (laughs) not or bribed or not how is that a question like I know. I don't when know. When so I much mean, money is coming into the schools it's and true. they're abused, they like kill their bodies doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And That's why, you know, from the it goes into the player's perspective of why they would want to take money. And also like a lot of them <laughs> that they recruit are from poor backgrounds yeah. and need to support their families back home. So it's like a totally understandable situation. So moving on. Oh, wait, it's a movie that I've seen. It is The Last Matinee, a.k.a. It had a different title, Red yeah. Screening. Yes. Back, uh, I remember looking it up online because I never heard about it until I saw 
not on the store shelves here. And that's why it's this week's Blind Buy. Blind Buy! I forgot it was this week's Blind Buy. It was, yeah. You're like, I already saw this. Like, yeah, we we watched it for this today. (laughs) So uh, this scratches an itch that I have of slashers taking place in movie theaters, (laughs) Yeah, which I always like. Uh, Actually, wait, what are some good ones? Mm, Popcorn? Eh, it's all right. Popcorn's fine. Uh, Anguish you like a lot, right? Oh, I love Anguish. Anguish is fun. I mean, Demons. Oh, I love Demons, Uh, too. It's great. There's another one that I'm thinking of. It's by the guy who did Hobgoblins. It's like Uh, uh, Vinegar Syndrome put it out on a rare double disc set. It's like Midnight something matinee or Midnight Madness, something like that. Uh, So I was a little bit, you know, trepidatious about it because I'm like, this is like, it's a certain kind of film. Even the art on the box, it looks like all of these types of like kind of neo movies that come out. Yeah, I'm a little wary of things that are trying to clearly be like giallos mm-hmm. or like old school retro slasher movies but or something. I would say that I was actually impressed by this one of its commitment to the premise and yeah, it moves too. at its own pace. It actually kind of reminded me of Goodbye Dragon Inn <laughs> in the way that you just watch these people watch a movie. Yeah, I saw you tweet about that. The That's entire like, time. I agree, I agree. And like it takes place in the 90s, which I go eh, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. And I do have an issue that the movie they're watching on the screen was clearly shot in the 2000s. It's on yeah. mini D TV, well, which is a real it, movie, which I did not movie. know. Yeah, I read that after. It's from one of the actors in it, mm-hmm. right, who directed this movie from like the 2000s. And it like looks late 2000s. Super fun. It yeah. looks like a it looks Siege great. Frankenstein <laughs> movie, which then also brings me to the point that that movie it, in its entirety will be included on the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. Interesting. Uh, which is not on the DVD that we have. So the DVD here. So it's funny here, because when we were first looking at this, you were asking me, why is there no Blu-ray release mm-hmm. of this? It's from Dark star pictures they usually do blu-rays and then a couple weeks later yeah vinegar syndrome, vinegar syndrome dark star and them have a partnership now i should say i keep saying vinegar syndrome even though that i don't believe that they are technically distributors i believe that no. they have the system like of making the blu-rays and stuff right. like that they probably but i don't think they pick them and they leave it to their partners themselves okay. i think i say That's that cool. probably because the partnership probably take on the financial risk yeah. of releasing these movies as opposed to vinegar syndrome themselves doing it yeah so uh, but getting back to the movie though yeah i was really impressed and i it enjoyed the way that it kind of just like slowly ramped up in mm-hmm. interesting ways i thought that it was very stylish i was impressed by you know at first i was like i don't know how i feel about this but like it got gorier and gorier to like yeah. some grottier stuff at the end too yeah i mean it doesn't necessarily like change the game that much it's like a fairly <laughs> that is literally what i used how oh, did you use yeah. that <laughs> I, like, I don't even think re- i read that i yeah. think i said it doesn't reinvent the wheel oh, okay yeah. yeah that's always a good quote. yeah that's I've, a good i've go-to. used that a lot but yeah in terms of just like basic kind of like no frills slasher movie mm. vibes it worked well to me and yeah i liked how it's got a sense of humor but it's not like too jokey either like it takes itself seriously the kills are brutal and oh, so brutal. i love the the thing with the eyes basically his like the killers stealing people's like, eyes stealing, kills them and then steals their eyes which is kind of works with the watching the movie kind of thing and it has a great gimmick where like for the first like hour the killer is killing these people in the mostly giant empty theater and they yeah. don't know that they're a being great, killed cool empty th- like very cool yeah, old school old theater, school right? and until finally it pops off and it made sense when I read afterwards the director was mostly a music video a commercial director yeah. it definitely has that vibe where a lot of slow motion near the end yep. but it's also just like no frills mm-hmm. like there's no big twist there's just a 
killer. Yeah. Never explain who he is. He's just there and he's killing people. <laughs> yeah, which is great. And that kind of goes, it has that Giallo kind of vibe mm-hmm. to where you get that like killer POV sort of thing throughout it. And there's not much of an explanation needed for nope. anything. It's violent. Like there's mm-hmm. an eye gag near the end that's yeah, genuinely yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh. Like I I, even I was like, Even oh. I was flinching, yeah, at <laughs> yeah. that point. Um, eye trauma is always, uh, always good for me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I would say, you know, maybe, I mean, now that the Vinegar Syndrome disc is coming out, it's some somewhat hard to recommend the DVD of it, but there's a lot of stuff on this DVD too. I believe there's a commentary features. on this disc that yeah. is not on the vinegar, which would be weird because Dark Star is doing yeah, the Blu-ray doing as well. But yeah, they've got his short films on it. They got a, like a ton of special mm-hmm. features on this. So, so I wonder if it was cool like a last-minute thing because it was definitely going to be put out on Blu-ray. They by did. Dark they Star. actually announced the Blu-ray when they did the DVD, and then it got canceled. Mm-hmm. So clearly. I do like that they are going to include the full Frankenstein movie. Oh, me too. Yeah, because when I was seeing that, I just thought it was like a gag they had shot some mm-hmm. scenes or whatever when i found out it was a real movie i thought and that makes sense because i was like wow they really that. uh change up their style for this frankenstein movie yeah i, I like, know oh, somebody else did it that yeah, makes sense that makes a lot of sense and so moving on we have the final movie of this week and mark is going to take it because this is his uh, <laughs> well, hobby horse we're, we're sticking with dark star pictures you know i just well, a dark star fascin- picture release this is dark star i'm fascinated by them because they put out some legitimately cool like little indie films. dementia like, 13 part dementia two yes yeah. private chat which we talked about a couple weeks ago and then they put out like fun horror movies and then they just put out like some real trashy VOD shit like Ted Bundy American Boogeyman now the starring Chad Michael Murray did they put out the previous films by this director they did not so this is the new film from director Daniel Ferrans who we've definitely talked about on this podcast back when The Haunting of Sharon Tate came out The Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson which was a blind by that week so he is fascinating to me uh, offensive to a lot of people because he his MO is basically making shameless slasher horror movies that are based on real true crime incidents contentious true crime incidents but he also spins like a false conspiracy theory kind of narrative for them. So he'll take like a conspiracy theory, like with murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, where, you know, there was a conspiracy theory that there was another killer in the area at the time. It wasn't actually OJ. It was this other killer, <laughs> which is right. completely <laughs> ludicrous. Yes. Or in Haunting of Sharon Tate, how she had a premonition of her death, like a year before or so, or a couple of years before. When you told me how... She dreamed her death at the hands of the Manson family. Haunting of Sharon Tate ends. I was like, oh, I like that. Yeah, Even I though know. it's very exploited. Oh, it's super exploited. And the thing is with him is he seems like a genuinely earnest guy. Like he doesn't seem like he's doing this for like, he's trying to create ill will. He actually thinks he's making sort of a memorial to these victims. So I knew this director because he had been very active in the horror scene. He mm-hmm. wrote... Halloween 6, the one that got recut. He also produced, I don't remember which one he did, or maybe did he co-write or direct the Nightmare on Elm Street doc or the Friday the 13th doc? Both of them. Mm -hmm. So he's a longtime horror fan, hugely obsessed with Friday the 13th, so he was involved in the Crystal Lake Memories thing. So basically between his script for Halloween and then him kind of doing these movies, he kind of exclusively worked on sort of documentaries about horror films, behind-the-scenes featurettes on DVDs of horror films, so that kind of thing. And then he got back into directing a few years ago with those two movies we talked about. And then a th- he did an Amityville movie, which kind of spins like the true crime aspect of Amityville into its own weird thing. And now he's done, he's stepped away for a year or so, and now he's back. And he shot back to back this movie and another serial killer movie called Eileen Wernos, American Boogie Woman, which is coming out <laughs> in a couple of weeks. Couple yeah. weeks. Now they're being put out. Of course they are, of course I watch this because mm-hmm. why would I not? And it is as shamelessly exploitative as those prior films. Although with this, 
there's not so much a conspiracy theory element because it's basically just like there's a serial killer mm-hmm. and it, he basically turns it into just your typical stock and slash slash movie but with a real life serial killer if you can get past the idea that it's like actually ted bundy and he like killed a lot of mm-hmm. people and it's a really hor- horrific story it's not a be- like you could tell he has the he knows the nuts and bolts of how to make a horror movie because he's clearly a horror fan. Well, right? I've only seen the Nicole Brown one, and it was bad. It's, it's it was bad. like padded out to yeah. heck. Like it See, was that's just my favorite ugly. Of his oh, that's my favorite that, because it's so awful, wild. But that awful. Nick Stahl performance is that just Nick Stahl performance the roof. is crazy. So this is the thing: is like I wish that his movies were more conventional slasher films that happen to center around a true crime stuff. Yeah. And they're not really. Like, that Nicole one is just kind of like her being stalked. Yeah. There's like, does she have a premonition that it's going to happen? It ends very abruptly, like it they does. ran out of money. Well, like, this... if it was like a slasher and she was just involved, yeah. that would have been more fun Well, I for wonder me. how you'd feel about, because this one's more like a typical slasher, mm-hmm. because it's like Ted Bundy is like the Jason Voorhees or something. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. And so Chad Michael Murray is basically stalking people, and it's just like one scene after the next of him just like stalking and killing or sometimes the victims get away because that's what actually happened okay Bundy. but it doesn't have like it a central st- character it actually then? sticks to what actually happened more so than his previous films i would say See, i mean i would say that loosely but i would like, rather him go like completely wild I though know. than try to stick to the real life events because like no i agree make a slasher where it's like oh, a bunch of people go to a campground it's like ted bundy the untold story and suddenly started killing them yeah and at the end they seemingly murdered him but then he came back to life at the end like that's all i would need. no i get it and they could have gone for that i just the thing i find fascinating about this and i think chad michael murray is very funny in this role <laughs> okay. like he really and there's a scene midway through where he has a weird like orgy with a bunch of mannequins that he has in his hotel room which is just you need to see it to believe it but the thing I find fascinating about this movie and about Daniel Franz in general is he always seems to take a stance against misogyny in mm-hmm. his movies. Like in this, there's also like a thread line about the FBI agents which are, who are trying to track him, led by a female agent. It's kind of this like sub mind hunter kind of thing. But the female agent has to deal with the misogyny of the police detectives. And when she's informing the the troops or whatever, one of them's like, oh, well, don't these women deserve it if they're, you know, like that kind of thing. And she's like fighting back against that. So you'd think like, okay, he's obviously putting this in. But then he films every scene where he's going after the victims with the women just coming off like scantily clad, <laughs> typical like slasher movie villains. He's having and it's his like, cake and eating it too, just man. Like, no, there's just like such a cognitive dissonance there that I can't figure out. And he did the same thing with Murder of Nicole Brown Simpson. There was a lot of talk about how misogynistic it was. But then, Mur- and then Nicole Brown Simpson is walking around like kind of like scantily glad a lot you know it's just he always has that and i i would love to just be like dude like what do you what is your methodology behind these <laughs> movies what is what is going on uh because i i don't get it do you but, think you'll get a real answer that'll be like no one's ever asked me this question well before. that's the thing i don't know i've read some interviews with him he mm-hmm. seems like a nice genuinely nice guy but all the interviews have just been kind of like puff pieces about mm-hmm. these movies coming in you have the so hard nobody's hitting. actually like are you worried about like what like the public perception is going to be of mm. these movies or like what you're actually saying. And but he's like, man, I just want to make movies. I wasn't making I movies just before wants this. to make movies. Yeah. Uh, but he's really obsessed with the true crime thing. And, you know, true crime speaks to me and... Not to me. I'm going to keep... Well, I'll be, I'll be there for Eileen Wernos when that comes out. So. <laughs> I hope that's a crazy slasher film too. See, if I he think went, so. I think again, that's what they're doing with it. Like Haunting of uh, Sharon Tate like has a wild ending. Mm-hmm. And I One wish of the wildest. all of his movies had that ending. Yeah, this this kind of does in a way. Mm. But Does Ted Bundy die at the end of it? 
No. I okay. mean, I mean, he obviously dies in real life. No, and they yes. have like an end quote of being like, he was electric. I know. But there's a funny ending where they, the cops, they do turn him into a bit of like a supernatural boogeyman <laughs> okay. at the end. I like there's that. a final scene where they're trying to like catch him and he's like disappearing. All <laughs> like he's a bo- and then he just kind of like walks. They're trying to like emulate how it was so hard to catch him. But he, he so he like walks through these like crime scenes where they're trying to find him and he's like kind of a ghost there. Mm. The problem is though too, because you kind of wish that it would go a little campier because there was a film like Matthew Bright's Ted Bundy from 20 years ago, which I know is pretty contentious and a lot of people Matthew don't. Bright made a Ted Bundy Yeah, movie? you don't remember that? No, I, I definitely didn't see it. Yeah, so and it's a very campy, over-the-top kind of... From like Matthew, a Matthew Bright. Bright, Ted Bundy <laughs> Director movie. Director of uh, Freeway 1 and 2. I know. So it has a cult following, but I know at the time it was kind of like savage, but it's definitely built up a cult following. And that one I prefer because it it leans into its campiness more i mean i would say it definitely walks a fine line between whether this is just purely offensive or not this one i feel like could have could have used a little more of that like campiness but i'll take what i can get from a vod chad michael murray what's your opinion on the jeremy renner i think ed gein film oh Dahmer. Dahmer. you know i've never seen that one i gotta rectify that Mm -hmm. because i mean i've seen other i've seen the secret life jeffrey Dahmer. you're a big uh renner head though you're always blasting his music yeah store you're like hawkeye's my favorite adventure yeah i hate that guy (laughs) yeah he sucks (laughs) he sucks but you know what around that time I, i liked some of the indie movies he was in and i liked the director of that Dahmer movie I just never, I never saw Didn't it. Didn't MVD put it out on Blu-ray in they special did. edition? They did, yeah. I feel like I we probably talked about it. Haven't gotten around to it. So uh, that's it for this week at Bay Street Video. Uh, you guys are still open? We Walk are. to the store? We are, yeah. Yeah, I mean, nothing's uh, changed. Up, to, up till 10 o'clock? The pandemic's over, didn't you hear? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> up till 10 o'clock, right? Yeah, uh, up till 10 o'clock so on late. Friday and Saturdays. Oh, okay. That's yeah. it. It's 8 o'clock every other day. <laughs> yeah, we're slowly bringing the hours back up. We're not going to go back to like midnight again, but yeah, you know, ever. Friday and Saturday, we're starting to get busy again. On oh, Friday and really? Saturday night. That's great. So, as per usual, my name was Justin McClue. And I'm Mark Hansen. Keep on buying. Keep on renting. Chad Michael Murray movies. These movies and many more are available at your local video store. Yeah. <laughs> like what? I, like what? I don't know. House of Wax. Oh, which, love House of House Wax. House of Wax, which we talked about. Um, That's it? One Tree Hill? Freaky Friday. He's, he's good in. <laughs> Never seen Freaky Friday. <laughs> A Cinderella story <laughs> Never with Hilary Duff, <laughs> yeah. who was also in Haunting of Sharon Tate. It's oh, all poor Hillary connected. Duff. <laughs> all connected.